see if I'm doing this. Good morning, everybody. How are you doing? Happy almost Halloween. I love how we have this little skull guy in the back just kind of looking over us. We put it there on purpose to remind us of life in Jesus. No, it's part of our rental deal, and it's, it's cool. You guys have any fun plans for Halloween? Hopefully, if it's not raining, we'll, we'll, we'll be able to, to do something. Uh, if, if you are new and with us today or one of the first times, would you find the connection card on your seat and fill it out for us? We'd love, <clears throat> excuse me, to stay connected with you. And one of the great ways to do that is just to give us your information. We can get you information on different events coming up and uh, get you connected on any any. Uh, questions or, or places you might want to get uh, further uh, plugged in. Uh, one thing to let you know is we're going to be trying to put on there, we're going to be modifying this little uh, sheet so that uh, soon it will say, you know, there'll be a little checkbox for the community groups that we're running. And so in the meantime, if you'd like any information for that, uh, you'd like to get plugged in or just, just get to know uh, more about how we do that, uh, write that on the bottom of the little comment section. We'll, we'll get you information. There's only one other thing I want to share with you today before we, we open up our Bibles, and that is uh, in celebration of it actually starting to feel like fall, uh, we're going to have cider and little treats in the back um, just to kind of build community, and so, so that'll be a lot of fun, and if you look carefully, you'll find some little dinosaurs and uh, ninja turtles our kids have dressed up today, which is, which, is, which is a lot of fun to see them doing that. I don't know if any of us dressed up that way. No? Okay. Uh, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to uh, Mark 3. We're continuing our series. It's good to be at, back with you today. Uh, while you're turning to Mark 3, we're going to be looking at verses 13 uh, through 19. Uh, I was away this week. Uh, having a guest speaker last week uh, gave me the margin to, to go and visit one of our, our church partners. Uh, so for those of you guys who are, are praying for that time, it was good. And I'll actually share a little bit more, um, at least by way of illustration, in the message today. But we're, we're continuing our series in the book of Mark of Enter the Story. God is writing this, this story throughout history, and he calls us to play a part in it. Not just some of us, but all of us. And today what we're going to see is, is Jesus, as he's been starting this ministry, inviting us into uh, this word discipleship. We're going to unpack what that means and, look at, and, and consider today what that means for us as, as a church. But let me read, and, and then, we'll, then we'll get into it. So this is Mark 3, starting in verse uh, 13. Jesus went up on a mountainside and called to him those he wanted, and they came to him. And he appointed them that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. These are the twelve he appointed, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. To, to them he gave the name Boanerges, which means sons of thunder, Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon, the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Do you guys remember either in high school or college getting the syllabus for the course before classes started? I loved getting those things. Uh, you know, they kind of outlined what you're going to talk about, the purpose of the course, all the assignments, the tests. Uh, as an amusing side note, uh, in, at Cal, I used to try to get to the class on the first day before anybody showed up, before the professor especially showed up. Often they'll ha they'll, they had on their lecture hall desk the syllabus sitting there. So I'd get there, and I'd start leafing through it to find one assignment type in particular that if, if it was there, if this class had me doing this assignment, I'd drop the class. Ideally, before the professor showed up, so I didn't even have to sit in on the lecture. You know, why waste an hour, an hour and a half of that first day? And that assignment that would make me drop this class was not some big paper, you know, not some 20-page thing, not an in-class essay, which is embarrassing to admit. It was if there was any oral presentation 
which of course, how's that for irony, given what I'm doing right now? Uh, it, was, it was really fun. I, seriously, I'd see that thing. I don't care if it was in front of just three people in a seminar. I'd drop it. Uh, how God changed my heart to bring me onto the stage today is a, is a time, uh, is a story for another time. Um, but the syllabus, the syllabus was the professor's way, or is the professor's way, of moving students from here to there in academic pursuits, is it not? But what we see in the text today is Jesus' syllabus, his game plan for moving people from here to there in their faith journey. This text that we're looking at today is, in my humble opinion, the premier text in the whole Bible about discipleship. Now, what's discipleship? What does it mean to be a disciple? It's kind of a word that might be thrown around in Christian circles. What is it? It's not just being a student, and it's not just a, trans, you know, a, a knowledge transfer dump or something like that. It, it's the idea of coming alongside, in that culture, a, a master that you would become more and more like, not only in knowledge, but heart, mind. And you just, the more you spent time with them, you'd become more like them. Well, of course, Jesus wants his followers to become more and more like him. And here's the main text for helping us understand what that process looks like. It's a syllabus. Now, why I think this is incredibly important, well, for a couple of reasons. If you're here today and you are not his follower, maybe this demystifies it for you. Uh, You know, Jesus is obviously about reaching followers. What does it look like when you put your faith in him and you become his follower? This is the text that lays it out for us. Or maybe if you are here and you are a, a follower of his, I hope that this shows you, I hope this maybe reminds you of what it is, how it's supposed to look for you to grow in your faith, develop, to become a more loving person, and through you to minister and disciple to others. Uh, that's what this text really shows us, what it, what it looks like to be a disciple. So let me pray, and then, and then we'll, we'll break down some thoughts here. Lord Jesus, uh, if there's a topic that we need to take seriously, uh, it's this one, because your great commission to the church was this, go and make disciples. If the church exists to do anything, it's to make disciples. And so, Lord, as we look at this text, would you help us understand this? Would you help us as a church, current Silicon Valley, uh, do this well? By your grace, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, to bring us up to speed, where we are in, the, in, in Mark now is we have seen Jesus come onto the scene, and he has made a complete, he just made a splash. I mean, things have gone up and running, and all of a sudden, he now has this opposition that's forming. Verse 6, uh, which I didn't read today, is the Pharisees, that is the religious elite, this religious party, and the Herodians, that is the political party of the day. These otherwise enemies at the time were coming together, and now it says they're, they're beginning to plot how they might kill Jesus. Uh, that's a splash if you've got people trying to kill you. And ultimately, they'd, they'd actually be successful about two years later from this time. Uh, more than that, of course, he's also, we see in verses 6, 7, and 8, he's just developing just a massive following. All the people are coming to hang out with him, and they're coming from all over the place. I mean, from miles and miles, days and days of travel, they are taking to hang out with Jesus, to be healed, to learn about him, understand his teachings, so much so that verse 9, uh, my dad, who's a pastor and loves boats, uh, this, he always said, was his life verse. I wonder if you'll, you'll see how he appreciated it. Jesus said, because of the crowds, he would tell the disciples to have a small boat ready for them to keep the people from crushing him. My dad said, 
I need a boat so that people don't crush me in ministry. You guys don't crush me. Um, if, if I could get a boat, though, I'd be, I'd be very happy. But here's what's happening. The, the masses are coming. There's opposition uh, taking place. And now Jesus is moving into phase two of ministry, and that is passing things off. He wants to start to multiply things. And so he has called the disciples. We've seen that. If you've been with us, he said, come follow me to these guys. They've dropped things. They've followed. And now he's enrolling them. Here's the practical plan. And what we're going to see here in this passage are three ways discipling looks in this text and, and, and understand what it means for us today. So number one, discipling we see here happens through imperfect community. Discipling happens in imperfect community. So if there's a value that we have here at Current, you've heard me talk about this. We've done a series over the summer about community. It is the importance of community. And now with this new, newly forming community in our community, when I look at the text, I'm seeing it all over the place. And, and here it is. As, as Jesus calls these guys, you see imperfect community. He appointed them, and he goes through the list. Simon, who became Peter, James, and John, who were these sons of thunder. We'll talk about that in a second. Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, who, by the way, is Levi from a couple weeks ago. He got his name changed, uh, the tax collector. Uh, Thomas, James, Thaddeus, and, and, and so on and so forth. Jesus was, was doing disciple through imperfect community. Look, if Mark, the writer of this book, wanted us to have some thoughts as we were reading this list, there were probably two at the surface as we read this list. One, we'd probably think, wow, these are the guys who changed the world. These are the guys that are the pillars of the faith. And at the same time, this other thought, wow, what a bunch of misfits that just otherwise don't belong together. Jesus was using imperfect community as his game plan to develop his disciples. How do we see that in this list? Well, a number of ways. Okay, for starters, it has rocked my world uh, going through this study, especially in light of thinking of the call of Levi, who's now Matthew, uh, and this other guy coming onto the community, that is Simon the Zealot. That they would be on the s in the same community is just mind-boggling to me. What I mean by that is this. Levi, a couple of weeks ago, we know he's a, a tax collector. And all of the other Jews in that time would have been absolutely appalled that Jesus was calling this tax collector to be one of his disciples. These guys, these tax collectors, were traitors. They were working for the Roman government, the oppressors. How dare you do that, Jesus? And we talked about how even the fishermen in this place of Galilee, they would have been like, Jesus, why are you calling this Levi guy? Why are you calling him? Well, if it would have been awkward for the fishermen, think about how awkward it would have been for Simon the Zealot. Being in a zealot meant you were part of a political and revolutionary party, a violent party that was all about taking down the Roman power. I mean, so much so that in 6 AD, and then ultimately 66 and 67 AD, they took up the sword, and they, they were able to kill a number of Romans, and they were ultimately slaughtered themselves. They did not like the Romans, and they did not like anyone who would affiliate themselves with the Romans, meaning Simon the Zealot and Levi the tax collector being in the same room would have been nuclear. I mean, I almost think it would be like putting uh, Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton in the same room, post-third debate, Hillary and Donald, in the same room. They can't even shake hands. I mean, could you imagine these guys walking down the street, Simon the Zealot, how do I, how can I hang out with this guy? And Levi just saying, oh, how am I accepted here? Jesus knew this dynamic was happening. He called them to be in community. What's going on there? Why would he do that? Or to think about these sons of thunder, James and John. I love this reference because they, these guys were fiery. Uh, over the years, uh, they, you know, they would just, man, they just were putting their, 
feet in their mouth all the time. There was this one time they're walking along the road with Jesus. And uh, as he would often do when he was working his way to Jerusalem, he'd send a few of the disciples ahead of him to make preparations in a little village. Hey, you know, we need to set up and, and sleep somewhere, so would you go and do that? So, these, so disciples went and in, the, in a particular village, and they tried to do that. No luck. They came back and said, Jesus, they're not into you in this village. Uh, it's not going to work out. James and John, having seen by that point in Jesus' ministry, Jesus calm the storms, feed the 5,000 with just a few loaves, turn water into wine, all these sorts of miraculous, powerful things. They pulled Jesus aside, hey, I got an idea. These guys aren't into you. Let's bring down fire on these guys. Let's burn them up. And it's like Jesus is probably just hitting his head like, seriously, guys? You've been with me as we've been talking about love, right? Love? Let's love these guys. These guys also, at one point along the way, again, they're walking along with Jesus, and they think they can get out of earshot from the other disciples, but the other disciples, it, later we find, actually heard what they were saying, so they were, they were listening. But James and John find an opportune time to pull Jesus aside, Jesus aside and say, hey, Jesus, you know how you've been talking about entering the kingdom of heaven? You know how you've been doing that? We've got this idea. How about you let us two brothers, when you sit on your throne, sit at your right hand and your left? It said that the other disciples heard this and became indignant. They were ticked off, which makes total sense, right? I mean, if you've given up everything to follow Jesus, you've given up everything, and now these guys are doing a power play to outmaneuver you. I mean, it's like, and Jesus knows these sons of thunder. He knows what kind of dynamic it's going to be bringing them into this community, and yet he does it. Why? What's going on here? Imperfect community is central to Jesus' discipleship plan for growing and developing his followers to become more loving and more like him. How else would these guys learn, really at the heart level, concepts like love your enemies? Oh yeah, I guess we shouldn't burn these people up. You know, I guess we should be thinking, or, or how else uh, would they learn at the heart level not to look to their own interests, self-interest first, but to the interests of others? It, 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 you know, in times of stress or times of opportune, uh, opportunity, they, they pull Jesus aside, hey, we can do this, we can do No, 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 I know that's how you think. But you should be looking for others first, the last shall be first. Jesus, imperfect community allowed this to happen. It's actually in the imperfection that, that th there was this beauty and power. Uh, and that's what I think which is just so awesome about this list as we read it. I mean, I don't know about you, but sometimes when I read lists in the Bible, if, if, if you read your Bible, I'm just like, oh, that's cool, a bunch of names. But there's real beauty and power here in seeing these guys on here for the reason that they were messed up. What's more is, the, is people have noticed that they were an absolute uh, unpromising lot. I listened to how one professor at a, a seminary in Southern California puts it. He says, it was a strange group of men our Lord chose to be his disciples. Four of them were fishermen, one a hated tax collector, another a member of a radical and violent political party. Of six of them, we know practically nothing. All were laymen, meaning non-clergy, non-pastors. There was not a preacher or expert in the, scripture, in the scriptures in the lot. Yet it was with these men that Jesus established his church and disseminated his good news to the end of the earth. You know what is absolutely amazing to me? These guys, as misfits and you know, unqualified as they were, here they are thinking, we can do this. Jesus, you've called us. We can do this. Let's take this on. And yet, how does the church today across the board, at least it seems to me the American church, 
approach things like this, oh, we can't do it. I don't have it in me. I've heard over the years as a pastor, uh, any number of people say, you know, I, I, don't, I don't have the ability to share my faith. I can't do that. Kind of with the, the subtext of that's for pastors. That's for people with seminary degrees. But what I, would, what I would ask is, are you any less qualified to articulate your faith than a fisherman? Or people will say, I'm unworthy to live a life displaying God's love because there's just so many things I've done that I'm just not proud of. But what I would say is, are you any less worthy to begin living a life that displays God's love through you than a first century tax collector? Jesus can and wants to work in and through you. And one of the primary ways he does that is through imperfect community. Now, of course, this is, what, this is how it works in the church today. Uh, we are in an imperfect community. And, you know, it's a lot of fun hanging out with, with each other. And, and you know, that's, that's a big part of what we're doing. But there will come times, no doubt, when we have to work things through. That's just a part of the deal. It's, it's like in premarital counseling when I'm working with, with couples. I feel like there's this interesting myth that we have that conflict is this unnatural thing that should never happen. Now, I don't, under, I don't get that because, first of all, it's inevitable. But conflict does happen, and to the extent we actually allow it to not push us away but drive us closer, the Bible says, actually, we are building our relationships. We're, we're becoming deeper in our friendship than ever before. It can be a good thing considering our brokenness and our, and our human nature. It's the same way in the church. Jesus is still choosing and, and appointing his imperfect communities today. Uh, Look at this here real quickly, and, and then we'll move on. Verses 13, 14, and 16, Jesus went up on a mountainside and called to him those he wanted. Verse 14, he appointed the, the 12. And again, that same word in verse, verse 16, the 12 are here he appointed. There's this, there's this deal here where Jesus is deliberately, intentionally choosing the community that he's going to be devoted to. That when things start to get hard at times, he's not going to bail on, which they probably deserve from time to time. He's stuck with them. And I believe he is still choosing and appointing imperfect communities today through his church, including here at Current. So, for instance, if you're here today, I don't think it's coincidence. You know, God doesn't just say, hey, boo, boo, boo. You know, there's a real opportunity for you to get, the pl- get plugged in. Maybe that's in a community group. We've been talking about that. Maybe it's on a serving team on Sunday mornings, which we've said are not just setting things up or making, you know, the kids' space wonderful for them to hang out, but we're, as we do that in relationship, building community that way. Maybe it's grabbing coffee midweek. There's, maybe it's grabbing cider after the service. Any number of ways to get plugged in and start building this uh, community. Uh, one last thought, actually, as, as we have here is, is notice, too, that Jesus had bandwidth for 12. I think that's interesting. You know, Jesus, in this season, he said, you know what, I have time for 12. Now, we're not Jesus, probably don't, can't do the 12 thing, but I think what he's showing us is there's wisdom in investing most heavily in a few that he brings along on the way. And so I, I, would, I would encourage you to think about that. Okay, so discipling happens in imperfect community, and, and second, discipling happens through everyday life. Look at his curriculum, verse 14. Jesus appointed 12 that they might be with him. Uh, not that he might sit them down in a lecture hall, give them number two pencils, you know, little blue books, and, and give them the test and all that. No, that he, they, they might hang out with him and let life on life be their main curriculum. 
I mentioned earlier that this last week I was in Texas at one of our partner churches. They were hosting about 25 church plants, uh, planners, uh, pastors, whom they have partnered with over the years, uh, going back probably about 15 years. And they were, they were doing these seminars for encouragement, training, and the like. And the main lead pastor there uh, was, is, is, is this incredibly wise guy, very wise in leadership. The kind of guy that when he got up there and he did these formal sessions and he was teaching us, you're writing so fast and for so long that your, your hand is hurting at the end of it. You're like, oh my goodness, it's so good. But by far and away, the best time of the trip were the shuttle bus rides where he'd come and sit among us or times over dinner when we were just hanging out eating food or maybe even that last session at the very end where he said, you know, we're actually not going to talk anymore. Let's just question and answers. Because it was in those times where we got to say, oh, my goodness, here's what's going on in my life. Or here's what's going on in this ministry. What are your thoughts? And, man, that was pure gold, that part. Jesus' way of discipling, growing people up in the faith, I like to say it's, it was through osmosis. It was through immensing these guys around him in everyday circumstances. Jesus was teaching those guys listening to it. If he taught a parable, a simple story to, to convey spiritual truth, the masses obviously uh, at times didn't understand the full meaning behind it, but he with the disciples later would say, oh, this is what I was meaning. This is that, what that analogy represented. He brought them everywhere. While he was traveling, you notice that two of the example I've, I've, examples I've used today were while he was traveling. They weren't just sitting around doing a little, it was just always life on life. And I think that, by the way, is the primary reason we actually read our Bible. Have you thought about it that way? I mean, I think so often, if status quo thought, why do we read our Bible? Well, it's just to gain more information. The main reason we read our Bible is to have the character of God rub off on us. That when we experience life, we can draw for that, draw upon how he sees the world, how he sees others selflessly. And by the way, that's why I've chosen to start this teaching series in the book of Mark, focusing on Jesus' life. Jesus at one point says, if you know me, you know the Father. Meaning in, this, in these words, we get to see how God, the infinite God, deals with everyday things that you and I deal with. And we want that to rub off. On, that's, why you, that's the benefit of reading the Bible. But more than that, we need to be in interpersonal relationships where these thoughts, these feelings, these biblical principles are pouring into us. Uh, there's uh, uh, one of you here today, I won't mention names because I don't, don't want to embarrass you, uh, lost her job uh, not long ago, and it was taking a little while to, to find uh, her job, but she, she never had any despair in this. And what was amazing to me and Cindy is, is while she was going through this and trying to figure out, um, she was just so positive in, 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 through this experience that Cindy and I were out there, and we were hanging out with a number of different of you, and we kept hearing people say, oh, my goodness, it is so amazing that she is approaching life. This, har this hardship of trying to figure out a job with such positivity, with such faith. I wish my faith was like that, that if I experienced that, I wouldn't be affected by it so negatively. And yet here she was, not sitting down and saying, hey, here's, let me tell you about my faith. She was living out her life, and people were being challenged and encouraged to live like Jesus called us to live. To trust him, even when the job's not there. And by the way, what's amazing about her is she was not only looking for a job, she was looking for a job intentionally where she could build up relationships with others and share her faith. Again, what an awesome opportunity for us to grow in our faith as she li lives out hers. 
You know, there's also something special, it seems to me, where of, of spending time in peop- with, with people of different life stages. That this discipling process, that this learning through rubbing shoulders uh, builds us up. When Cindy and I were in China, we were a part of a couple of different expatriate international uh, church communities. And we had this awesome opportunity and experience to hang out with people in close quarters uh, with, with young families, little kids. This is before Cindy and I had kids. And we just got to see them interact with their kids, disciple them, you know, discipline them when they needed to, but also love others, including ourselves, through their kids. It had a huge impact on Cindy's in my life. And we never realized it at the time, but it's impacted the way we want to do family with our kids. We realized that kids are, it's not only an opportunity to minister to other with kids, but it's also an opportunity for our own kids to be ministered to and rub shoulders with others. That's why if you, you'll hear us, we'll often call, you know, you guys around the table, auntie and uncle. That's behind that. We're, we're a church family. We want our kids to know that and rub shoulders with you. To get practical here, uh, I just want to ask a question. Do you have someone in your life, or do you have a few people in your life that you can call, that you can hang out with, that you can talk things over with as life happens? You know, it doesn't necessarily have to be, you know, getting together with somebody, opening up, their, opening up your Bible and saying, what does the scripture tell you? That's good. That's very good. That's helpful. But I think it's just also just being intentional about life. Hey, how are you doing? Oh, you're dealing with that? How's that going? And as we do that in relationship, especially as, as we let Jesus' life reflect into us and into those relationships, that's how we're built up. Uh, imperfect as we are. I think uh, I, I, at, at this point, often I like to say there's an, I feel an obligatory side note to speak, especially to the fellas in the room. Because I think if, if I could be general about it, which I hate to be, you ladies do far better at these sorts of relationships than we do. I mean, guys, it's, it's hard. You know, we just talk sports and hang out, which, by the way, is good. Uh, do not let your application point be, your takeaway be like not s- stopping talk about sports with David. I want to talk sports. But my point is using relationships to, as we get more comfortable, hey, how are you guys doing? How's life going? How's it going with the family? And as we have opportunity, building and pouring up each other in this way. So discipling happens in imp- perfect community. It happens uh, through life on life together, everyday life. And then finally, discipling happens on mission. Listen to the, the latter part of, of Jesus' curriculum here. Again, verse 14. He appointed 12 that they might be with him and that he might send them out. There's an element of Jesus saying, hey, you got to spend time with me. But also there's a purpose of at the end of the day, you got to be sent out. You got to take this. There, there's always this link for Jesus of personal spiritual growth with the outward sharing and demonstration of God's love and power. It seems to me, I am absolutely convinced here in the Silicon Valley, a big part of our mission must be helping people learn to love our neighbor. Starting with ourselves. When you think about the mission here, I think we need to learn how to love our neighbor. Why am I saying that? Because we live in such a privileged place, do we not? With so much resources. And what's so sad is when I, when I look into the, the data behind it, we are just about the richest part of the country while also simultaneously being the most miserly with the lowest per capita charitable giving. 
So we say, we come to Silicon Valley to change the world, but we're content with changing our own world. We've got to learn and lead out. Disciples of Jesus need to learn and, and lead out, starting in their own hearts, loving our neighbor. I mean, I'd say that's central to being sent out. I have a buddy who is in the area, and he used to not like homeless people. Uh, and this is a Christian, mind you. But he used to tell me, he's, he's like, in, in sharing me with this, this story of life change that, that happened in his life, he's like, yeah, David, you know, really? I just, I, I saw them as lazy and smelly. I don't want to hang out with them. This, this Christian guy. And it, so it really started to irk him when his wife at their local church started to serve the homeless. And they get in arguments about it. He said, how can you go help these people? You're enabling them. They need to learn to get their own job. And she'd argue back, but he was hearing none of it. And finally she said, look, just come out and serve with me. Would you just come out and serve with me? Just try it. And so, you know, they, they, you know he, he reluctantly goes, and all of a sudden he's like, okay, I see what's going on here. Life transformation started happening in his own heart. And he's out there, he's helping people, and he's nervous and awkward at first. But then he met this one gal that really changed things for him. It was just this elderly lady who there's just no excuse for. She just had no way of supporting herself, getting back on, on her feet on her own. And what really struck him was how much she loved God. She had a positive relationship with God. She was Christian, more joyful in her relationship with God than my buddy, even despite her circumstances. And he's just like, oh, my goodness. It was like then that I realized Jesus' statement on blessed are the poor, for theirs is the kingdom of God. And he said he began to realize in that season that in being sent out and serving this way, that God was actually working more in his heart and in his life than the people he thought he was going out there to serve and bless. And long story short, what's really fun about this is he is now leading homeless ministries to help people like his former self learn to love their neighbor. And what he's also more recently started to see and, and understand is that God's not just helping people learn to love the homeless through this and those neighbors, but he's also seeing in his own life, oh my goodness, I need to learn to love my actual neighbor across the street or my neighbor in the sense at the workplace. The needs are different, but I need to be loving there. It seems to me that this is the process of discipleship Jesus is calling us into. I mean, this guy, he was in an imperfect community, and I love how he's real with me that his wife and he would get into arguments and just get frustrated, but she and that church said, you know what, we're going to work with you. And they called him out. And he came out and he got to see and start to live out God's word and let that change him. And through that process, he was not only maturing and growing in his faith, but he was becoming equipped to mature and grow others in their faith. Look, the joy to me about being a part of a church startup here, uh, this current Silicon Valley, is we are by definition on mission together. Um, and our central mission here is to move people in Silicon Valley towards Jesus, wherever we are on our spiritual journey. And a very big part of that is activating people who are Christ followers to begin to live first for God's kingdom and to more and more orient our lives around him. And it's our hope that not only in this process would we, you know, do the things that God's called us to do, but that, and when we see this already happening, but we ourselves would be changed even as we hope to have greater and greater 
impact. What I love about this whole thing is none of it depends on us. It all depends on just receiving and reflecting the love of Christ. Are we going to struggle in this whole discipleship thing and being built up individually and as a community? Yes. Was it a struggle for those 12? Absolutely. But there's a place in 2 Corinthians where the writer says this, it's in our weakness that his strength is made perfect. Jesus could have come on a solo mission to accomplish what he wanted to accomplish, but he didn't leave it at that. He wanted to work through imperfect communities, which what a joy that we get to lock arms in this room to do. Uh, it's going to be fun, but we also got to figure it out figure it out and stick with each other. And I think that's really the point. Look, to me, the disciples, they didn't have a clue of what God was getting ready to do here. If you are a Christ follower today, or if you know a Christian in your life today, it's because of God working through these first 12. Did they know that Jesus was getting ready to do that? No. But do you know that God wants to work in and through you individually and in and through this church in greater ways than we can ever dream? I mean, what Jesus is primarily about is not actually even life change in this life, but he's about eternity. That's what we're committing to. That's what we're shooting for. And I think the, the main point in all this is we've got to be intentional about it. We've got to not say, you know, I'm done, forget you. But as best we can, putting up with each other, bearing with each other, working together, loving each other, even as we're being loved when we don't deserve it. And we'll see God work. Let's pray, and then we'll, we'll continue with our worship. Jesus, in the same way you called and appointed the 12 to establish your church, we believe you're continuing to call your church together today, even here at Kern. And by the way, I want to I pause here for a moment in this prayer and say, if you're here today, and you sense God working in your heart, moving in your heart, that you would like to become his follower, become his child, you can do that. You can do that in your heart today by saying, Jesus, I want to receive your love. I receive what you did on the cross for me, dying for the things I've done in dis disobedience towards you and all the ways in which I, I've been selfish towards others. Forgive me. I receive the eternal life you offer in your name. And if this is your prayer, uh, we'd love to connect with you and encourage you. You can mark that on, on your connection card or see me afterwards because we'd love to help you with the next steps, which, by the way, flow out of exactly what we're talking about here in this text. But God, thank you for bringing us together to form this community, imperfect as we are. Would you use us to mold us and mold us into the people you've called us to be from the inside out, equipping us to minister to the greater Silicon Valley around us. Uh, thank you in, in advance for your grace in helping us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.